I lived just long enough to begin to see that some of the scourges that is unique to our generation, at least from my point of view, is how easily promises are made and how easily they are broken. In days gone by, people thought long and hard before they made a promise because they knew once they made a promise, it is there that they have to keep it even at a personal sacrifice. There are times when a man's promise was his bond. Somehow today, we make a promise at the fleeting moment, and then we say, well, you know, tomorrow, well, I'm sorry, just sorry, I couldn't do it. And we get away with it, and we think it's all right. Someone said that most politicians these days spend half of their time making promises, and the other half of their time making excuses. Recently, a lawyer friend of mine said, you know, lawyers would have a hard time making a living if people behaved themselves and kept their promises. In fact, when I was writing this, I remembered the story years ago that I have read about a pilot and a navigator who were shot, and then they were down adrift on the sea in a small lifeboat. And after several days without food, without water, and certainly without any hope of being rescued, the pilot began to pray, and he said, Oh, God, you know that I haven't lived a very good life. I have been a miserable husband and a terrible father, and I've cheated and lied and stolen, and I have had no use for the church. And and God, if you will save us from dying here, I promise that I will never And right at that point, the navigator yelled and he said, Stop! (laughs) Don't say another word. I think I see land. (laughs) But how I thank God that he does not make frivolous promises. Frivolous promises that he does not keep. God always keeps his promises. He privileged me to be around enough to experience him to know how faithful he is in keeping of his promises. I know his word tells me that, and I believe that, and that would be sufficient. But I have experienced him and walked with him long enough to know that he is a faithful God. There is one thing that God cannot do, and that is not keep his promise. His promises may be fulfilled not the way I want them, and not when I want them, but he always fulfills his promises. Will you open, please, the word of God? To 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 41. And here we're going to see Elijah clinging to the promises of God. Some of God's promises are conditional promises. By that I mean the fulfillment of these promises depend on something that I have to do, you have to do. But then there are other promises that are unconditional promises. Secondly, I want you to remember this. Some of God's promises are personal promises. They are limited to one person at a given time. But then there are other promises that for all believers, all the time. Now, have you found 1 Kings 18? And here, immediately following that magnificent event, that incredible supernatural event, incredible intervention of God... By a fire falling from heaven supernaturally that licked everything in sight. Stones and woods and sacrifice and water. Right after that, there on Mount Carmel, Elijah tells King Ahab, verse 41. He said, get home quickly because the rain is in the forecast. 
If I would translate it literally, it might not make sense, but here's how it sounds. I hear the feet of rain approaching. <laughs> Has he seen it by faith? He heard it by faith or he heard it literally? It doesn't really matter. Ahab goes down to eat and drink. Where does the man of God go? He goes up to Mount Carmel in order to kneel on the promises that God has given him. He went up to pray. Listen carefully, please. The promises of God plus prayer equal the fulfillment of the promises of God. Let me put it another way. Keeping the condition of the conditional promises of God plus trusting that God will fulfill them equal the intervention and the fulfillment of God's promises. The promises of God are always certain, always certain, but they may not mature in 90 days. I have often said that when God makes a promise, faith has to believe it, hope anticipates it, and then patience awaits it. I'm going to make a confession. And now the Bible said confess to one another. (laughs) And I'm going to confess to you publicly. When it comes to God's promises, I'm okay with that. Even when it comes to believing it, well, I'm okay with that too. And even when it comes to hope anticipates it. It's a little harder, but I can go along with that. But I have the hardest time with the last one. Patience quietly awaits it. I want to tell you, I literally have calluses on my hands for pounding on the doors of heaven. I'm going to get back to that, not because I want to, but I want to be faithful to the text, so I have to deal with it. (laughs) What kind of a promise did God make to Elijah? It's right in your text. Can you find it? God made him a conditional promise. Where is it? What's the conditional promise? He was there in Zarephath with that widow. And God said to him, go down, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send the rain. That is a conditional promise. God is saying, Elijah, if you do that, I will send the rain. Remember, it hasn't rained for three and a half years. But Elijah's obedience was the condition of the fulfillment of God's promise. You know, there are so many promises in the Scripture that are conditional promises. I find myself frustrated when I see Christians are confused about this issue. Running around claiming the promises of God, listening to those naming it and claiming it, blabbing it and grabbing it, top preachers. And when it doesn't happen, they get devastated and say, what is happening? What is happening is that you have not understood the biblical principle here. You have not understood how God works. Most Christians today love to claim the promises of God, but they want to escape the conditions. But God must be true to His Word. God set those things in motion. And He is not going to change them. The Bible said, you sow and you reap. And what you sow is what you reap in kind. Now the Bible said, give and it will be given unto you. Now, of course, there's a period of waiting between the time you sow and the time you reap. I've never seen a farmer going out there and digging the seed to see how it's doing. To be sure, there is a time. And sometimes there are setbacks, but I want to tell you they are as true as God's own word. 
that if you sow, you will reap. The kind of things that you sow, you will reap. And if you sow cotton, I've never seen a farmer who sowed cotton and reap wheat or corn. If he sows wheat, he gets wheat. If he sows cotton, he gets cotton. This picking and choosing. Well, I'll believe this and I'll believe this, but I'm not going to believe this and I'm, not going to, I'm really going to ignore this because somehow if I ignore it, it's going to go away. And it's a cafeteria Christians, and I'm going to pick and choose. I'm just going to go along the cafeteria. I'm going to pick this. Yeah, I like this. No, I don't like this. No, I don't like this. I like this passage. I don't like this passage. God's word is one word. I was thinking about this. I thought of these three sisters who went to a wedding for the first time. They've never been to a wedding before. And when they came home from the wedding, they decided to play a wedding game. One was going to be the bride, and the other one was going to be the groom, and the other one was going to be the minister. And as the bride and the groom role-playing here, standing next to each other. The minister was playing the role of the minister. She said to the bride, and she said, Would you take this man for richer or for poorer? And the little girl said, For richer. (laughs) Oh, how like adults that we pick and choose. And we want to believe that part, but we don't want to believe that part. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a conditional promise. The Bible said that if you commit your ways to the Lord, He will bring it to pass. And if you want to pilot your own ship, your own way, and then when you get into trouble, you cry out to the Lord, Lord, why are you not blessing my plan? When I have violated the condition of the promise, I should not expect a fulfillment of it. 1 John 1.9, that's often rattled by carnal Christians, Almost like just dialing 911. You know, you get into trouble, just dial 19. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. First John 1 9. I just noticed it now. <laughs> the carnal Christians go and live any which way they want to live, and then it just gets, well, first John 1 9 says, if you confess your sins. Sure, it's a conditional promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, but I confess all the time. No, you don't. Lip confessions without Determination to change is a cheap repentance that does not obligate God to forgive you. Confession must include a decision to forsake. Some of God's promises are not only conditional, but they are personal promises. There are personal promises and there are universal promises. This promise here for Elijah was a personal promise made for a specific person For a specific period of time. You will make a mistake. You get into trouble when you try to make a personal promise to be a universal promise. Now, you understand the principle. You see how God works and you say, well, now, Lord, I want you to speak to me in this way. You can learn from that. And that's what we're doing this whole series. See, understanding how God works. We often think that we somehow have to spend hours in prayer convincing God that He should bless what we're trying to accomplish. Instead of spending hours in prayer trying to discern what is God's purpose and what is God's will in my life. I want to tell you most assuredly that whenever you bring your effort into an alignment with God's purpose for your life, you will be blessed. You have God's word on it. Elijah understood that whenever prayer aligned with obedience together with the promises of God, he was going to see an answer to his prayer. 
Whenever you fulfill the condition of the promise, I want to tell you, this is the true naming it and claiming it. Whenever you fulfill the condition of the promise, you can safely claim that promise and God will give it to you. God cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. Now, if you're spending many a night on the side of your bed instead of sleeping in it, I want to tell you, listen to me, I'm going to tell you from the heart of experience. Instead of sitting on the side of your bed asking God for what you want, save the time, save the energy, and begin to ask him, what does he want? Ahab went down to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to kneel on the promises of God. Both men saw the hand of God working mightily. Both men saw the power of God manifested together with the thousands upon thousands of people. Both men experienced the greatest supernatural intervention since Exodus. One went down in a brutish and animalistic way to eat and drink. And the other went up in humility before God clinging to the promises of God. You know, I hear people say, oh, if we just see more miracles in our day, people will believe. I tell you, they will not. I submit to you that there are miracles happening all around us every day. But the spiritually blind will not believe and will not see it, even if it is done in the most magnificent way. You remember Jesus telling the story of Lazarus and the rich man? That is not a parable. That is a true story. Jesus Christ who pre-existed with the Father before the foundation of the world telling us a true happening. This man referred to as a rich man was a man who self-centered. He didn't have a thought of God. He didn't have a thought of God's kingdom. He thought only of himself. His successes, his comfort. And Jesus said there was a man by the name of Lazarus who trusted God. He didn't have a thing in the world, but he believed God. He put his trust in God. And both died. One went to heaven and one went to hell. And after a few moments in hell, I want to tell you something. The rich man turned out to be a great evangelist. (laughs) After a few moments of torment, he yelled out to Father Abraham. He said, Father Abraham. You see, he thought that his ethnicity, he thought that his Jewishness was going to get him to heaven. So he called out to Abraham, the father of the Jewish night. He said, Father Abraham. And when he finally realized that it's too late, he then, please send Lazarus, let him rise from the dead so that my family would believe and not come to this place of torment. You remember what Jesus said, Abraham told him. He said, if they don't believe the Bible, even if somebody will rise from the dead, they will not believe. There were miracles right before Ahab, but it did not scratch his heart. The spiritual blindness was there. Miracle made no difference. But there's something else here that I want to tell you about Elijah's prayer. When Elijah went up to pray on Mount Carmel... He prayed specifically, right? Can you find it? There is no prayer recorded here. (laughs) It's not recorded in this passage. But listen, the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the Bible from beginning to end, does not record it in 1 Kings 18, but he records it in James chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to it. 
Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That's where you find it. (laughs) What do you think Elijah was praying? Oh, God bless everybody everywhere. (laughs) Go to sleep. (laughs) So most Christians do. I am convinced in my heart he was praying, Oh, Lord, you promised me that if I stood before Ahab, you will send the rain. I know you're going to keep your promise, Lord. Do you know why prayer is such a burden to so many Christians? I'm going to tell you why. Because of the ambiguity of our prayer. There's so many Christians who look upon prayer as a task Oh, the hard work of prayer. We feel the task is too heavy. We end up praying that prayer. God bless everyone, everywhere. Amen. I was thinking about this, and then I thought of myself, you know. I don't know I'm telling you these things, but I hope God uses them somehow. But I'm known to forget some things. And uh, those who work with me closely know that. It's a standard joke, but that's all right. I just wanted to know that I know. (laughs) if I say to a person and and it happens many times I'll be talking to somebody and say what's your phone number and I say well hold just a second and and I'll say well I think it's 8796229 somewhere somewhere about there just try them all and you'll get me and I tell you the truth is I'm constantly confusing the street address of the church with the street address of my house somebody like four numbers and I get them all muddled and somebody would ask me the other day on the phone I said what's your street address and I said well it's I think uh, 95 84 or 85 no I think it's 35 and I said well wait a minute is this the st-? and then I could yell out to my secretary or if I'm home with my wife and I said what's the street address of I mean that sounds funny to you but I want to tell you occasionally it happens with me you say wait a minute Normal people don't give information in this way. (laughs) In that same sense, I have never seen any of the great prayers in the Bible being ambiguous prayers. They are always prayers that come to God with specifics. I know there are some Christians out of false sense of reverence. You know, they are afraid to be specific with God. I hope I put an end to this fallacy. Because when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 30 that the hairs on your head are counted, it does not mean that he simply knows how many. He knows that. But when he said they are numbered, meaning that he knows which hair that fell in the brush when you brushed your hair this morning. That he has chronological records of every one of your hairs. And if God is that specific and details with you, you need to be that specific and detailed with Him. As much as I'm not big on details, I want to tell you when it comes to prayer, you better find a different Michael. (laughs) Because I pray specifically and in details. My wife and I have experienced the power of prayer of agreement many a time. When we come together in total agreement, not just, well, you know, if that's what you want, I'll agree with you. No, I mean in total agreement. And we know that it is the will of God. And we know that it is consistent with Scripture. And we know that it is in obedience. We have seen the hand of God, incredible answers to prayer again and again. And when the answers come, they're always bold, they're always clear, they're always specific. 
Elijah prayed specifically, but he also prayed obediently. He also prayed clinging to the promises of God. And then he prayed persistently. Here's that part. That's the challenge for me. Jesus taught that it is not the length of prayer. It is not the language of prayer. It's not the posture of prayer, whether you're kneeling or standing or on your head or whatever. But it is the persistence in prayer that he taught again and again in the Scripture. I confess to you, I don't understand everything about persistence in prayer, but I know that it is the Word of God. And I told you I'm going to get back to the subject of my greatest challenge. Patience, perseverance, persistence is always too convicting for me. But I seldom bring you a message before God has already penetrated deep into the well of my soul. And this is no exception today. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, when he told about the woman who persisted with the unjust judge, because that woman was beating on his door and beating on his door, finally said, well, I might not be a godly person, but I will answer her because of her persistence. Jesus himself in Gethsemane, he persisted in prayer regarding the will of the Father. This Syrophoenician woman who came to the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of her daughter, she persisted in prayer until Jesus answered her. Do I know everything about persistence in prayer? I really don't. But Everywhere in the scripture where you encounter biblical teaching about persistence in prayer, it is there is something I see in the scripture somehow that persistence and prayer and the promises of God belong together. I'm not talking about personal desires or wants. I'm talking about God's promises. Well, how did Elijah persist in prayer? Look at it there and mark it in your Bible, verse 43. Put persistence next to that verse. (laughs) He sent his servants to look for a cloud. And he didn't send him once. He didn't send him twice. He didn't send him three times. He didn't send him four times. He sent him seven times. After the first time, he could have given up. After the second time, he could have said, well, God is not going to answer me. After the third time, he could have said, well, you know, I had enough victory for one day. After the fourth time, he could have said, oh, I must have misunderstood God's promises. After the fifth time, he could have began to doubt God. After the sixth time, he could have become angry with God, as so many of you are. But he was persistent in prayer. Even to the seventh time. So he prayed specifically. He prayed obediently. He prayed clinging to the promises of God. He prayed persistently. And then he also prayed expectantly. He believed with all of his heart that God is going to keep his word. And that's why he kept sending his servant seven times. He really did. He believed that God is going to do it. And he would have been shocked if God didn't. And you know why he was expectant? You can tell. Because as soon as the servant came back and he said, Well, there is a piece of cloud in the sky as big as a man's hand. And literally it can also mean as a heel of the foot of a man. It's the same thing. It's a tiny cloud. You know what Elijah was doing? That's expectant prayer. 
he was handing out umbrellas. And you know, if you look at this passage real closely, you're going to notice that Elijah would have been absolutely surprised to his wits if God didn't answer his prayer. Many of us would pray and pray and pray. And when God answered prayer, we were just so surprised. Not Elijah. And that is why we are reading about Elijah. Why? Because he persisted in prayer. Because he was not surprised when God answered his prayer. Finally, I want you to notice one thing here. When God fulfilled his promise, Elijah stayed humble before God. I have seen it in the Christian community. There's some Christians who don't know how to handle victory. Now, they can handle a crisis, but somehow they can't handle victory. They can't handle blessings. I've seen others, when, when victory and blessing come, they begin to take credit for it. Well, it was my hard work, it was so-and-so, and it was this, and it was that. And I've seen others who, after victory and a blessing come, we put natural face on it. It would have happened anyway. Please listen carefully. You do not need to be a great theologian to know that this kind of attitude does not honor God. Elijah, after the victory, he tucked his cloak and he ran before King Ahab. Now, you might have missed it because you've got to understand this is an act of humility. It's an act of submission. In the Middle East, when you run before the king, is a form of subordinating yourself to the king as a servant. Hey, listen, Elijah could have said, I got Ahab exactly what I wanted him. <laughs> I got him on the run. He didn't do that. He could have said, listen, Ahab, you are out and I'm in. But he didn't do that. You know why? Because Elijah was adamant that everybody must know that this great act is God's act, not Elijah's. Let me ask you this. What are you doing with the conditional promises of God? Are you refusing to keep your end of the bargain? Rationalizing why? Are you refusing to keep the condition of the promise? Or have you simply just given up? There are other Christians who don't know how to appropriate the promises of God. They remind me of Crawford, this great chief, Indian chief of the Blackfoot Confederacy in South Alberta in Canada. When the Canadian Railway, Pacific Railway, wanted a permission from him to cross the Blackfoot from Medicine Hat to Calgary in order to get the train run in a straight line, and he gave them that permission, they wanted to do something in return. So they gave him a railway pass that he could ride on the Canadian Pacific Railway anywhere the train goes, anytime. He can live on it if he wanted to. So, what does the big chief do? He put the ticket, the pass, in a leather binder. And then he wrapped it around his neck. He wore it on his chest for the rest of his life. But there was no record anywhere whatsoever that he's ever availed himself to the right to travel anywhere on the Canadian Pacific Railway route. I read this and I thought, tragically, this is the way so many Christians treat the promises of God. 
They may hang them on the wall. They may believe them in their heads. And, and they know that's to be true. But they never appropriate it. If you would give me a check. And I'll take that check. And I'll put it in my pocket. And I told you that I forget some things. <laughs> and I'll forget that check for a long time. What have I done? I've never appropriated that gift. The Holy Spirit has given each of us gifts. The Holy Spirit has given us promises. And I know some of you have received personal promises from the Lord. What you do with these promises, how to appropriate these promises, is dependent on you. You want to be blessed financially? I want you to examine your pocketbook and see how much seed have you scattered lately. You want to be blessed spiritually and have victory over a certain area? I want you to examine your calendar and see how much time have you spent before God specifically seeking that victory. You want your family to be blessed? Take a good hard look at the time you spend with them, instructing them, teaching them. I'm not talking about formally sitting there and but just let them feel your heart love for Jesus Christ. God is true to his laws that he has set in motion. And he said, when you sow, you reap. When you keep the condition of the promise, the fulfillment of it will take place. Please examine your heart. I ask the Lord to take away any hindrance that you may have or the enemy may raise up to the voice, his voice, not mine, and says, Lord, I have not been faithful to the condition of the promise. Forgive me. And make a determination today that you will keep and honor the personal promises, the conditional promises. Those of us who are inclined to give up and not persist in prayer. And in the waiting period between sowing and reaping, get a little lethargic and discouraged. Say, Lord God, empower me never to give up. Thank you, Father, that you answer our prayers because we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.